This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. I have been fed, that's a fact. I have been fed, that's a fact. My credit card purchases get me cash back. My credit card purchases get me cash back. No one else gets these rewards. Sergeant, that is just plain untrue. What in tarnation? Sir, PenFed's PowerCash Rewards Card isn't just for military members. Anyone can get cash back on all purchases. Ah, friggins! You've ruined my favorite song. PenFed Credit Union. Visit penfed.org slash powercash. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. The Home Depot has holiday savings of up to 40% on select appliances, like a Whirlpool four-door French door refrigerator for just $15.98. It's perfect for a busy kitchen full of helping hands. That's where its fingerprint-resistant stainless steel finish really shines. Order online and get free delivery. Holiday appliance shopping improved. Up to 40% off select appliances. Now at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Continental U.S. only. While supplies last. Valid through December 2nd. Free delivery on orders $396 or more. Thanks for calling Toyota. This is Jan. Hi, Jan. I heard Toyotathon is on. It sure is. Perfect. I'm getting a head start on my list for Santa. Well, we've got great year-end deals on Camry, Highlander, RAV4, and more. But what kind of toys do you have? It's actually Toyotathon, not Toyotathon. We have great deals on vehicles, not toys. I'm sorry, sweetie. Okay. What can I get for five bucks? Current offers end November 30th. Toyotathon ends January 4th. Participating dealers only. Toyota. Let's go places. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast. I'm Rose Sampson Folk, and today, very honored and very excited to have on one of my favorite guests. She's been on, I think this is her fifth or sixth time at this point, Katie Heindel, who just happens to be coming off of a feature writing job for the Raptors for the month of February. She wrote some of my favorite pieces I've read this year. She's also a host on the Dishes and Dimes podcast, which is growing very fast and is very popular. And after listening to a few episodes, I might say very good as well. She's also writing for Dime Magazine, and she has a fantastic newsletter that goes by the name of Basketball Feelings that you should subscribe to. Katie, how are you doing? I'm doing well. That was a great list of um, accomplishments. Accoutrements, I was going to say. Wow. Um, Lovely titles, yes. That was a very, very nice thoughtful introduction thank you i told you i'd do well i told I you i'd get it i know i know <laughs> i should trust you more yeah exactly I'm give me good. a longer leash <laughs> how are you doing i'm good but i want to flip it back to you right away okay you were at a citizenship <laughs> ceremony earlier today can you walk me through that process what happens in that yeah so i'm uh I'm a the writer in residency at 111 uh for the next three months which is a tech it's like a tech incubator for tech startups uh, in Toronto. It's pretty cool. Uh, but I'm coming at it from a lens of someone who is not that tech nuanced, uh, just in terms of like what's going on in tech right now, you know? Uh, so I'm writing 
writing in the lens that I kind of approach everything, which is more of just like overview, human interest stories, um, feelings, <laughs> things like that. So at this, uh, at 111 today, uh, they hosted a citizenship ceremony. So this will occasionally happen. There's an organization called ICC. Uh, so it's it was started by Adrian Clarkson and John Ralston Saul, the writer. And they basically host, like, they're called enhanced citizenship ceremonies. They host about 75 of them per year. So it basically is the citizenship ceremony. More of those, ha- those happen all, a lot. Those happen more than seventy-five times a year, but in this in this ex- experience event, uh, there's kind of this like roundtable discussion where, in this case, there was thirty-eight uh, newcomers to Canada. So I was a facilitator at one of the roundtables, and you just kind of talk to them about their experience because a lot of people that are getting their citizenships have they've been some of them have been here for you know years and years and years, right? Like ten years, twenty years. Some are like totally new, four years, whatever in, but like a lot of people have been here for a while. So experiences really vary across the board in terms of their journey to that point, what made them want it, um, and just like what it means to them. So you kind of talk for a little while, which is a very beautiful and like special experience I found um, just because the reasons were so varied in terms of like what it means to people. Um and like a lot of people saying, you know, there was one woman who, I won't go too deep into it, but you know, she'd been here for like 20 years. She'd, she had kids here. She'd watch her kids grow up. Uh, they have their citizenship, but she didn't have it. And then she got it. And she's like, you know, all these years I've been here and contributing, but I, now I feel like I really belong here. So just like very beautiful moments like that. Uh, and then they do their oath. So they like uh, a judge will lead them through an oath in French and English. Uh, it's basically pre- pledging allegiance to the queen. <laughs> I don't know what we could do to like update <laughs> update the oath, but it could it could use some updating. But it's okay. We're still a little like a monarchy, so they do that. They get their certificate, um, and then there's like a little bit of a reception after, and everybody is extremely happy. Uh, in this citizenship ceremony, it's a little bit more loose, a little bit more casual. So a lot of people had their families there, friends there, kids running around. So. I don't know. It was just like a very beautiful morning. Very is this special. something? Is this something that other people can attend, or is this curated yeah. specifically for a certain crowd? No, the ICC events. Some are closed, but the whole. Um, I should have mentioned too, because they change venue pretty much for every single every single event. So they have them in museums. They have them in like places of like business, like One Eleven, that are more of like kind of angled to like the public is aware of what's going on in those spaces or like you can be, um, they have them in, you know, like if like weather permitting, they could have them in like, I don't know, like outdoor. <laughs> I'm like, it's Canada. We only really have like a couple parks at like downtown. It's not like we have other, like, I don't know what I'm getting at here, but <laughs> they, yeah, they have them in all different locations. And, um, at these events specifically, if you go to their website, you can find out, uh, where the next one is and the next ones that are public. So they do encourage members of the public to come uh, to come and, and like be a part of it. That's really cool. I never knew that they did stuff like that. And I can't imagine a better way to accept people into the culture and into the, I guess, the country. Even though, as you said, so many people had been there for so long. I guess that, that final step, that final acceptance, it's probably a huge weight off of their shoulders. But 
to go from something that I guess has very deep, well, deeper levels than anything I've gone through in my life at this point for people who have to emigrate or immigrate into different places and go through the process into something that, that I also haven't dealt with, and that's being a woman in the workplace. And you wrote a huge piece about Jenny Busek and the idea that some women are hired for PR reasons. Of course, that wasn't the whole idea of the piece, but you did touch on that. And although Jenny firmly states that she wasn't, was brought up, stating, if I thought that was 1% of why I was getting hired, I would not have taken this job. I had other opportunities within the NBA because I wouldn't have wanted that. I wouldn't want to ever get a job because I'm a female. I don't ever not want to get a job because I'm a female, but I never want to get a job because of it. That allegation is thrown at a lot of women in the NBA and honestly at a great deal of high-profile jobs. Is there an expedient way to fend off the dissent or does that only happen once we reach, let's say, an equilibrium in that respect? Yeah, I think, honestly, I think it's probably at the best point it has been now ever, but that's because we have like the most saturation of women in those roles within the league. So it's kind of, it's just, it's normalization, right? It's people, unfortunately, not everybody, but some people still just like, if it's not something they're, if it's not something they're used to seeing, then it's going to stick out to them. Uh, and in this case, for the wrong reasons, I think like talking to Jenny about it, like her, I'll be honest, like it kind of threw me initially because, you know, I'm, I kind of was coming at it from the perspective of like, this must mean something to you in terms of like uh, taking this mantle of a trailblazer uh, and like taking this on personally. But she rejected that a few times when we spoke. Not she's just like extremely frank and extremely candid and like very open. But her, she kept coming back to this like I don't, I don't look at it like that. And honestly, her reframing it like that caused me to reframe it while we were speaking because even I was like guilty of the same thing. Like this must mean something. But for her, like the normalization is just like, no, actually I just want to go to work and I just want to do this job that I love that I've actually done for so long. Uh, but it's just like for her in her case, like I mentioned it in the piece, it's just like the timing kind of lines up with all these like first moments in her career, like being the, like the way that she like got into the WNBA and it's like inaugural year, like being one of the first coaches who was like an, a WNBA player being one of the first head coaches who was a WNBA player, being the first person to be a player assistant and then head coach, and then being the third woman to become a coach of the NBA. So she's sort of been plagued by all these like firsts. And I think like what people wanting to apply double meaning to those titles. But for her, it was very much just like, can you let me do my job? And I honestly, the more I thought about that, the more I was like, that's actually a great way for everybody to think about it. And it's one of the kind of issues I take with something like International Women's Day, where you look at all these measures and you're kind of like, is this, you know, everything verges on the, on the, it, it verges on the line of tokenism, right? Like you don't not want to have these opportunities and this like spotlight, but you also kind of want it that you have that all the time. So I thought it was very interesting just in terms of like, the way she framed it almost is like no big deal. And I think the sooner we can strive toward no big deal, like the sooner it feels like less of a thing to talk about. And she said it too. She's like, it's becoming less and less of a conversation. It is in some, some worlds and some it's not yet, but like when it does become less and less of a thing to talk about, I think that's when we'll know we've landed on it. Yeah. And I think that brings up the idea that it's a very 
it's a popular statement that I think when people are going through political discourses that politics for some groups can be seen as a hobby, whereas other groups, just by virtue of them being there and being present in a space, it becomes political through no choice of their own, which makes it seem like she's, like you were saying, rejected the idea of being a trailblazer, but her presence mandated that she was anyway, even as she was successful and a person who didn't try to even invite any of that, just wanted to go to work that was still present and even a person like you who wanted to have that conversation with her, that was on your mind because of it just it holds such a large piece in in our culture in the moment, I think. But did you find that in the way she handled it, do you think that that was necessary to take on that ideal, probably to navigate the workplaces she was in? What do you mean to, to navigate which ideal? The ideal of just having it be a job and not looking at yourself as a trailblazer because I think mm-hmm. that maybe the idea, and I could be wrong, feel free to correct me, but those ideas, if championed loudly, would be suppressed. You know what I mean by that? Mm-hmm. Do you think that that played into it at all? Or um, I guess that's that's probably too much to ask. No, I, no, I think it's kind of like, it's a good point. I think it's like, it's sort of a double-edged sword because I think if there was probably a fear, whether for her it's like, just an awareness because like you can read kind of a cultural climate when you're going into a place like you understand, especially I think as a woman where you see you're under or misrepresented, you understand what the climate is almost right away. You've had experience with that probably in your career or your life. So I think for her understanding that if she came in that way, it might be framed and viewed a certain way, even if she had like the best intentions in ter- I mean, best intentions in terms of like wanting to call herself a role model, wanting to call her like sh- to like sh- um, highlight the steps that she was taking forward so other women could kind of like follow those same steps. But I also think there's something to be said for downplaying downplaying the steps like that she probably took in terms of navigating those spaces, like first with the Kings and then with the Mavs. Um, and I do genuinely think she she's just been in a position again, with like all those steps in her career where she, she kind of had, has always had something has had to mean something else, especially when we look at these things like retrospectively, I feel like that's, we always want to paint them, paint them with a different brush or like, you know, view them through the lens of like a revolutionary kind of lens when like in the day to day, she was probably just like, no, I'm, you know, just handling this like most people would just kind of like one step at a time trying to navigate this new world. So, I mean, kind of yes and no. Right. And like, in a way, that's almost, that's a tough position to be put in because I don't think as a man still entering those situations, you would necessarily have to navigate that kind of double speak in real time, if that makes sense, totally. even if it's and, just to yourself. Yeah, and you, you put that in the article, but I wanted definitely you to, <laughs> to put words to it just just for the audience listening. But it is interesting, right, because... Obviously, on your merits, ideally, we would be having this conversation and there would be no premise of public relations or anything like that in your piece if everything was ideal and you could just be talking about which you did for most of the piece, her very high merits. And that could just be uh, the example you gave in the piece was Rick Carlisle would never have to navigate those types of questions. It's just everyone assumed Rick Carlisle was a good coach. That's why he got the job and nothing ever 
comes into the space like that. But maybe maybe we've talked enough about this because I think maybe I'm starting to get out of my depth as far as what I can contribute. No, and- I think it's fair. I think it's fair. I mean, I, the last thing I will say on it is like she kind of also had it was going to be a it would have been looked at, I'm sure, by some people as a PR move just because of the perfect storm of that situation situationally. Right. Like all the stuff that was happening with the Mavs in terms of the accusations of like sexual misconduct um, and like workplace harassment against like the former CEO, the like questioning of whether Mark Cuban knew about it, like how far that trickled down. Plus, then you hire. So then, like a few months after that, you hire your first uh, woman coach, and then she's also pregnant, and she like gave birth. Like she was, she was like nine months pregnant. You know, like she gave birth days after she was hired. So she didn't ask for that. That was just like the situational reality that she was in. But of course, like there's so many ways to parcel that out, and it was. But I think like her through line throughout everything has just been like no. I'm just here to work. I had other job offers. Like, this is where I wanted to be. So I think that's when you just have to take people at their word. Yeah, it's commendable, too. It's uh, definitely something that not a lot of people can do. Impressive in a way, the same way, and not to the same degree, of course, but the Raptors, to switch it over to them, maybe something more Raptors-centric. They're blazing a trail through the NBA as far as player development and as far as how to take, let's say, uncut gems and to take G League players and to take castoffs and make a, a wonderful team out of, out of them. I think we had discussed this before on the podcast, but an island of misfit toys. Mm-hmm. And you wrote a huge piece about the Raptors' next man up ethos. And obviously the players attributed it to communication, hard work, versatility and the like. You're a person with very strong feelings and senses, I think. When you're in the Raptors locker room, as opposed to an opposing teams, what stands out to you? I mean, they're very, like, I think it's just their care of one another. And by care, I mean, like, they're always aware of where guys are. Like, even after they've, like, just played, whether they've, like, won, lost, just, like, slugged it out, probably just want to go home. There's, you can see them kind of looking for each other, like, they tease each other. They chat like there's a lot of crosstalk, sometimes to the detriment of interviews. <laughs> but like they they just have this like sense sensory awareness of one another. And I think like I think that obviously translates absolutely to on the court. Um and I just think like when they talk about one another, like the times you ask them, like it's almost too much sometimes, especially when you talk to guys like Terrence Davis, who are just like so open and like so sweet and just like so honest. And when you ask him about like the guys he plays with, he'll just like give he'll just like give you his whole heart. Um, and it's just, but I mean, that's an extreme example, but I think it goes across the line from like rookies to vets. Like they just they take care of one another. And I think what I was trying to hit on in that piece was just more than. More like through everything, like the injuries and just like Kawhi leaving and like coming back with like maybe some question marks, not for them, but I think the perception that there were question marks outwardly about the team and what would happen. Um, the, the, the through thing is just like how generous the spirit is like on that team with one another. Like they just really care about each other. And in other locker rooms, like there are teams that certainly have that sense like there are teams where you get a feel, but like well, the thing is, I compare it to the Raptors. So if like I walk in a visiting 
team's locker room and like I have, you know, you get some of that vibe. It's like, oh, you know, I automatically start comparing it on the spectrum of the Raptors. Like how close is this to like how those guys are? Like it's they're they're very standalone in that way and that like you compare other teams back to them. Well, I guess maybe it's fair to ask if we've seen other teams maybe where relationships are borderline transactional, let's say. Is it that the Raptors have transcended that into another space of relationship just on the whole? Mm-hmm. I I don't know. I think it's like it's a lot of what we've talked about before. And I think it is by virtue of the way the team has been structured over the years uh, and that you've got a lot of the same pieces that have kind of worked their way up through the years into like different roles. They've kind of switched roles. Responsibilities have changed. Guys have taken on leadership positions and they that they weren't necessarily in before either having them like forced on them by virtue of trades um or people leaving or because they've sort of naturally just like stepped in or been pushed there by their teammates so i think i think it has it's alchemy for sure but it has to do it's like a long game thing too and a lot of teams don't have that because a lot of teams concentrate a lot on like season to season even like multiple moves within a season um, whereas the Raptors we've seen do not typically do that by virtue of the fact that they do not have that almost as an option or like a privilege, right? Yeah, it, it turns into a completely new, I guess, dynamic and way of, of building a team and something that isn't, uh, I guess, replicated very often in the NBA where it it is transactional and a team that seems like it's always in the running for success like the Houston Rockets, which has made the game about statistics a lot of the times and maybe analytics and you see players coming in and out with kind of a flurry and with it's expedient in a lot of ways and the way that they view players as assets is definitely whether that's right or wrong is I I mean there's people who could discuss that that in a better way than I could but I think those are probably the two polar opposites of the league right now and the Raptors doing a great job not being able to just bring in stars and having to build from the ground up is created something special but something special happened for you as well by proxy of you being the raptors feature writer (laughs) you went to all-star weekend Mm -hmm. what are the flashbulb (laughs) moments from all-star weekend for you oh man it was so much fun but it it was like a sleepless chaotic blur um but i mean for me first i think just being there and then like checking myself and checking myself to be like you you are here like this is happening around you uh, i think all-star media day was like a zoo and like extremely wild and the wildest like scrum situation i've ever been in but it was very uh challenging in a good way um i weird like i mean i said some pretty nice things about rudy gobert which i probably have to take back <laughs> after last <laughs> night but um yeah that was like that was a very interesting very like high stress but like high reward kind of experience um all star saturday night like i mean i love the dunk contest like i have a dunk contest tattoo um so being able to actually like be there and see that it's like it was actually hard to put that into words when i tried to write something about it um because that like that was just like that was very surreal uh i liked a lot just like you never knew who you might see in the media hotel, you know, like I met like junkyard dog in the lobby one day. Um, and we talked, (laughs) 
We talked about Toronto basketball. We talked about Kyle Lowry. We talked about Pascal Siakam. Um, that was very fun. The Basketball Without Borders camp was really cool to be able to see Siakam, like, interacting with those kids um, and just, like, how excited. And, I mean, I say kids that are, like, high schoolers. They weren't, like, children. Um, but just how excited they all were to be there. Uh, like, being in Chicago. I've never been to Chicago, so, like, this might be a little bit, like, touristy of me. But, and I know... This was, like, also how it was marketed. But I did really have a feeling that, like, that was a city where basketball has always meant so much. And, like, you could really feel it just in terms of, like, I got one free day and one afternoon to, like, actually walk around. Still a small portion of downtown, but as much as I could. And just, like, everywhere you looked, like, NBA All-Star everything. And then, like, anyone you might, like, bump into on the street would just, like, seem to want to talk about it. So... I thought that was pretty cool. It was just like, yeah, a sleepless, <laughs> a sleepless, wonderful melange of an experience. <laughs> I spent two days in downtown Chicago, and it was so revolutionary for me that it became my favorite city in the world almost instantaneously. I thought it was very, very cool. As far as that downtown American experience. I don't think it gets much better than than Chicago. It was it was like, definitely great. But I was just gonna say it's like you know it's like a more chill New York City. It's not as big. It's still big. I had a lot of American friends that were like, "You'll like it. It's a lot like Toronto. It's like the most American city like Toronto." A lot of people said, which I don't think that's true, but nice of them to say. Um, but just like the river, like the architecture, just like the sense of history in the city. Um, it's also just like a very cool city. People are doing very cool things. It's a really like sweet art scene, really good music scene, um, sports scene, obviously. Yeah, it's just like, and it's so close. It's right there. <laughs> when you went to talk to Rui Gobert in your piece, you mentioned <laughs> that you spoke some French to him. What did. did you say in French? Oh, I just, I literally was screaming en français oh. to, get his, to get his attention. <laughs> Because you have to understand at that point, you'll use whatever ploy you can get to get an edge on the other 40 people that are screaming at the player at the I'm exact same time Spanish as you. I'm going to in the Raptors locker room, and I'm going to outfox everybody as far as it comes to Serge and Mark. <laughs> I hope you guys know that. I'm coming to dominate. You should. The Spanish, the Spanish team that interviews Mark always gets a lot of time with them. <laughs> When I when I went to practice last year, I saw him doing an interview with them. That was they had him right away on television too. Yeah, and imagine if you popped in there with a little question on Espanol. That's the, <laughs> that's the way to do it. Yeah. Magnifique ballon. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, and so you were talking about well, there's two two occurrences in in separate pieces, but Pascal Siakam in the Basketball Without Borders, mm. watching him interact with. Not children, but not kids, <laughs> younger people. And you also brought up Terrence Davis interacting with the, was it tiny ballers, little ballers? Oh my God, the little ballers. Yeah. Watching, watching <laughs> players interact with children has long been one of my favorite things to see um, from All-Star Weekend. I think it was Patrick Beverly telling kids to say please, super <laughs> cute and endearing. What, what's, what's the best interactions you've seen between NBA players and children? Are those two of them or has something completely jumped out no i i mean like the closest was probably the terrence davis like just because i was in the middle of like walking him down the a tunnel and like t interviewing him and then it was on it it seemed like a plant like they just all, all popped out of this like door 
<laughs> they were just like little, I don't know. I was going to say like, they're just like little Muppets all popping out of like <laughs> an offstage door. And they all just started screaming for him. And he was just like completely unfazed. He was just like, hey guys, what's up? And like so cool, so casual. They were like losing their minds. Like there was the one kid who asked him about a jersey was just like couldn't breathe and just kept being like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta. And then finally he's like, I got a jersey. And was the was that analogous to when you met Doris Burke? No, I was much less cool than that child, if you'll maybe you believe it. Um yeah, no, like, and, and Terrence was just like, yeah, man, bring it next time. I'll sign it. Like, made that kid's life up to then, basically. So that was pretty endearing. With with Pascal, it was a lot different because, again, like, they were, he was extremely comfortable, and I got a chance to talk to his brothers about that, too. Um, they just said, like, he's so comfortable with kids and, like, working with youth. And when I asked Pascal about it, he was just like, yeah, like, of course. Like, I think he still thinks his, well, it is, like, his experience of being in their shoes is still so close to him. You know, it's still like he can remember what that felt like. And I think that's probably a lot different than a lot of players who've come up, whether through high school, college, you know, then getting drafted. Um, I think like he can really see themselves in, in their shoes. Um, so like his experience is more of like, almost like a, like a peer to peer thing, which, which was very cool just because I think in itself, like that's a pretty unique situation. Yeah, definitely. And for him closing the All-Star game and Kyle closing the All-Star game, as far as being there, and what was the sense of the arena like? Was it Oh yeah, I didn't even get to the All-Star game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I I'd like to hear about it from you. Okay. Um the All-Star game was really cool. I think it was fu- it was very funny to be like sitting in the media section uh and then have everybody kind of tuned out. I think a lot of people were checked out initially, like within the first three minutes of the game, because even with the new rules, there was still this expectation. Well, like, yeah, it's still an all-star game. So like how much are the rules actually going to sh- shape and form what we're going to see happen? Uh, but then as soon as it was clear that it was, I'd say like the first quarter was a little bit like mm, going through the motions. Plus that like initial, just like any jitters that anyone had, especially the first time guys, like they got them out. Uh, and then as soon as the second quarter started, it was really very clear that it was like a completely different style of game that anyone had seen before. I mean, by virtue of the rules, you've got to pay a lot closer attention to what's going on. But it also just like switched up entirely the player's approach to that game. Like it by the end, it was extremely competitive, almost like looked a little chippy at points, or if not chippy, then moody. <laughs> um, specifically with like, you know, James Harden. Well, mostly because Lowry was getting under Harden and LeBron's skin completely. Like, and it was working, which was like incredible to watch. Like, I had a really deranged glee watching that and like cheering for him. Uh, and just like the the atmosphere was crazy. Like, the atmosphere was electric. Um, and everybody was very invested in terms of like how it was gonna how it was gonna turn out. And like at the end, I know. I mean, I, that was my first time there, but just chatting with other people. Yeah, they just said like they'd not been in post-game scrums or like post-game interviews with players where they were that engaged and enthusiastic after that game because it's the end of a long and very busy weekend for a lot of guys, right? So they're also they're just kind of waiting to get on their charters and go on vacation. <laughs> but they were really engaged and like very, very excited and happy to talk about it. So if you're taking that game in with media, are you able to discern who are the Lowry supporters by when when you're next to them in that game (laughs) yeah i mean i knew like i was with like i was with uh 
a couple of Yahoo folks and I was with some American colleagues who I think know very well how I feel about Lowry. And then everyone else learned very fast. Um, but I think, I think it was actually cool to see that in real time to kind of like turn around and look at people as they sort of either like, as their interest was like peaked at first and then just like extremely like on high alert, they kind of like sat up really like really alertly in their chairs, like leaned forward, kind of like looked to each other to make sure like what they saw was happening. I heard a, a lot of people be like, a charge? <laughs> just like exclaiming in surprise <laughs> the first time. And also then the second time we're just like laughing. Um, but yeah, I think like I felt very, I don't know, I felt really proud. <laughs> I felt very proud of him. I always feel proud of him, but it was like a different way to see that because it, it was like, I felt like I was showing off. Like, look at this dude that we all know about in Toronto who's like, does this all the time and we get to see it. And now you get to see it. Yeah, that's that's probably, that's how I felt too. I was so happy that Kyle Lowry's defense and charge taking became the the center focus of an all-star game. It's something I didn't expect to see ever. And considering how he plays in other all-star games, very, very under the radar. It's not typically the the format that allows him to shine, but... That did happen for him. And since, before we go to the the break, I have two questions for you. And the first of which is, well, just a statement and then a question. I thoroughly enjoy you as a writer. You're fantastic. And the way you piece together words and tell stories is very special to me when I read them. And so I would mm. like your too long <laughs> didn't read sum up of the Raptors season so far. And I'm, I'm curious to see how you do on the spot. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been several seasons, hasn't it? Like, that's what it feels like to me. I think when you look at, when you break it out from, like, maybe October to early December, mid-December to the Christmas Day game to January, even before the All-Star game, and then after the All-Star break, and it's, like, it's kind of been this, like, baton, <laughs> this baton passing from, like, healthy guy to healthy guy to healthy guy as these other guys sort of like get extremely hurt uh, or have to like, or are out on these like what seem like cursed, like someone is cursing the team injuries. Uh, like what happened to Powell last night? I don't, I mean, I like, it's very engaging. It's like very much piqued my interest. I know it's piqued like the wider media's interest at large, mostly because of the Kawhilas factor, but I'm not even interested in that because I do think what every Raptors fan already knew was that it we knew it, they would be good. We didn't know that they would be this good. We didn't know that they would be this deep. We didn't know that they would be this resilient, and we didn't know that they would be like this intriguing. Um, they are like creating their own momentum. They're kind of just like pulling up, like whipping up from scratch just like things that are going to get them through every game. And in a lot of ways, like these like close and tight games have felt a lot like mini, almost like mini playoff runs in themselves. I think you're just like, there hasn't been a better season to like see the value in each individual player. Um, just in terms of like what they can bring to the table all the time. And also like when pressed, there isn't a shortage of like guys stepping up, but then like, a, like, cause that all sounds, all of that sounds so heavy like it sounds like there's so much work involved and there is but like through all of that they're also extremely happy <laughs> like 
they seem to be having the most fun they ever had definitely much more fun than they did last year where I think like it was probably great it was obviously amazing and great to have Kawhi on the team but it definitely changed the dynamic a little bit and I think now in some ways like they have this joy of getting like getting the championship and then coming back and getting to play all together but then like getting to play for themselves again so I mean I feel like we're all very lucky to like what we're seeing now it's crazy to me that it's March like that I have to check I've had to check a few times uh, especially while they've been on this road trip um and I think like I don't know what's gonna happen in the postseason I don't think we have to like get into it yet but I think we should all really like look at this past season and consider ourselves like extremely fortunate fans. <laughs> True to form, Katie, you deconstructed the question and came at it from a different angle <laughs> and then sprinkled a little bit of optimism on it at the end. And so the last question I have for you before we go to break is one I've asked Lewis when I first met him last year when we got together in a bar to watch Raptors game. I finally Sounds got to right. meet my guy, my buddy. <laughs> I asked him what his favorite word was, and he told me then, and later I asked him on the podcast, and he said commune, which was related to his master's thesis in history. Oh, my gosh. And now I'm going to ask you, Katie, what is your favorite word and why? Because I remember you expressing interest and wonder at Hasta Luego in one of your basketball feelings. So I'm interested if that's changed. Yeah, (laughs) deep cuts. I've got them for you. And uh, I'm interested what your favorite word is. You always do. Um, nothing is as beautiful as Spanish, unfortunately. Um, and like, I think the hasta luego thing was just like, how many different ways you could frame that word? I'm stalling a little bit, but um, <laughs> 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 this sucks because I, I know, like, there are words I think about a lot just in terms of like, they don't mean anything to me, but they sound very beautiful. But I think something that I know I use a lot. Uh, and I find myself going back to a lot is the word exponential, uh, especially when you're kind of like not definitely not in a mathematic sense, um, but just in terms of like this amplification, this like multiple multiplying of for me, usually a feeling or like a sense or someone's like. I mean, if we're talking about the Raptors and it's like personal drive, talent, um, heart competitiveness is just like very very applicable uh and not just to the raptors i find it's like i like words that sort of that like have this sense of like snowball like snowballing because i feel like in a lot of my life that's sort of what feels like is happening a lot of the time whether you like it or not things are just kind of like rolling forward and piling up so i feel like that's a nicer way to frame it because it makes you feel like you've got a handle on things I think exponential is a fantastic answer. And I'm very happy you gave it so much thought. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Listener, on that note, you're going to hear this ad read. And then Katie and I will be back with Twitter questions. Here's the scenario. Your insurance company is denying your long-term disability claim despite the fact that you've paid premiums for years and your own doctor insists that you're not well enough to work. If this sounds familiar, call Goldfinger Personal Injury Law. You'll speak with me, Brian Goldfinger, a licensed and experienced lawyer who practices exclusively on behalf of accident victims, disability claimants, and their families. Visit goldfingerlaw.com and get us working for you. Welcome back. Still Samson Folk hosting, still joined by the wonderful and thoughtful 
Katie Heindel, ready to answer your Twitter questions. The first of which is from Abolicious or Abolicious. Either way, they're at A underscore Nebulous. Quote, what future do you see for Rondé Hollis Jefferson and the Raptors? Katie, I'll swing this one to you first because this is an interesting question and you seem poised to answer it. I feel just sad because I think he's 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 done so well here and he's like really figured out a role for himself. He also really like I always have to go back to even the times we're like frustrated with him in game where he doesn't necessarily do the right thing. You have to think about like how long a lot of these other guys have been playing together and like how Rondé sort of like came into it. He's like the still the new kid on the block in that way. And also how like when Nurse called him out at the beginning of the season, he just like turned it right around. You know, like he he used that as like is like fuel to just like get better and prove it. And he has. So, but unfortunately, I guess I just don't I don't I don't see him sticking around for that long. Uh I don't know why like I don't have like I don't want to get into like salary stipulations or just like the technical side of things. I just have, that's the feeling I have. I hope I'm wrong. It would be wonderful if you could stick around for another season. I think like then if you're actually looking at the 2021 trade market, you do have to free up space. I can say that more definitively, but I mean, Ronnie's one of those guys that like he right away, you had a sense that he would fit and he shows how well Masai and like the rest of the front office know how to pick players that are usually underlooked on other rosters who either like don't get a lot of playing time something about them just like hasn't clicked yet and knowing that they can bring them to Toronto and like work magic out of them or like get them to work magic out of themselves is a better way to put it so I'll be bummed if he does go because I think like he I think he's like really embraced the team and he's really embraced playing for the team and they've really embraced him He's a hell of a dresser, too. It would be a shame to lose that. And he's just, I feel like he's just, like, started to feel himself a little bit more. He's getting a little bit more experimental with his outfit. So, I don't know. Like, you can't, it's like you build someone up and then, like, what's going to happen? <laughs> I'm uh, I'm excited to come to Toronto so I can, quote, unquote, get fits off. There's almost <laughs> nothing. You cannot wear nice clothes in Mexico. It's like shorts. That's it. And you could buy really nice shorts, but I don't know if I want to spend all my money on shorts because I don't think I'm going to live here forever. So I don't know if I want to buy super nice shorts. shorts. Well, aren't you the inventor of (laughs) shorts, the clothing? Yeah, so I don't even need to spend money on shorts. I got the patent. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But as far as Rondé... You appealing to the intuition, and I guess the the salary stipulations a a tiny bit at the end. Rondé's super interesting because he's had such an up-and-down year in some ways, and in a a very interesting way in that he was asked to play bigger than he usually did in Brooklyn initially, and that was a boon for his game, but later on became kind of a downfall for his game is that he's continually being asked to play bigger than he is, and initially he was good at that. Later on in the season now, he's become more matchup dependent and he's become a player who that, that always is, that isn't as much of a strength as earlier on in the season. And now he's in this kind of nebulous place in the rotation. And it's it, what type of position does he fight for? Kind of a, a smaller four 
or a big four in what kind of style he's trying to play and how does that mesh with what the Raptors want to do going forward and then the jump shot scenario of it all it it complicates a lot of things but without a doubt he is loved by fans and and deservedly so and the man the man can dress but the the next question is from Nathan Alexander at Nath G Alexander quote assuming everyone is healthy who should be the Raptors starting five for the playoffs Katie I know you really like these types of questions so <laughs> I'll, ha- I'll have you parse it out what do you think I mean but th- like you know we're not gonna get you know we're not gonna get like set starters for any even like any team in the playoffs and then also any game within that like that perceived series do you know what I mean so I need to think about this in terms of like matchups well actually don't think about it in matchups first let's let's bounce our favorite lineup off of each other and then and then we'll break it down from there how's that sound Okay, I think I can handle that. Okay, um. I think my <laughs> ideal lineup would be Kyle, Norm, OG, Siakam, Gasol. Those that's probably my favorite five. I'm not a not a Van Vliet detractor, but maybe not as high on him as others. Mm-hmm. So that's probably the reason. And I, I love Norm. I've been in enamored and enthralled with his game for some time now. He's I've written about him more than most other players. So I, I like to see him in the starting lineup. But now your turn. Let's see what you got. Oh boy. Um you you wait. You said you said Norm, Gasol, Siakam, Lowry, and OG? Yes. Okay. In the um, classic shooting guard center power forward. Yeah. <laughs> point guard small forward sense yes i really like it when when fred and kyle are on the floor together a lot like i think they kind of look out for each other they get this like little bit of a intuition going and i also just like i find it so weird and special it's not even the weird like some of the weirdest stuff that they've pulled out but if i can cut in Mm -hmm. they're in the place i used to live in puerto vallarta in uh, Cinco de Diciembre, there was by a bodega, not a hallway, but this kind of back street where two very small homeless chihuahuas lived together. But they were oh almost God. like they were like partners, and they would always defend each other, mm-hmm. and they would always they would always have each other's back. And maybe that's that's Kyle and Fred. That you don't want to split them up. It would be a shame <laughs> to split up the chihuahuas. Maybe they're the same thing, right? I mean, not the analogy I would use, but I appreciate <laughs> what you're trying to do. I think for me, OG, Mark, Lowry, Van Vliet, and Siakam. But it is tough because Powell, there hasn't been a time in like in his whole career and then his whole career with the Raptors that like Powell hasn't deserved to just like be starting the way that he's playing right now. When he can play, geez. But like he for so long it's just been this question of consistency with him and now he's like finally nailed that in this like very quiet affirmed kind of scary scary good way um so i want to see him on the floor as much as possible but i also like the idea of holding him back for like the time that you need him the most because i think when i think what we've seen of fred sometimes is like he can get he can get a little bit stretched in playoff situations um 
So I don't know. I like I like wiggle room. I would love to see my extremely long and scary lineup that I like have as make believe in a playoff situation of like Siakam, Boucher, um, Abaka, Gasol, <laughs> and oh wait, <laughs> who's my fifth Gigantor in my Gigantor lineup? Kyle. He's a gigantor in his own way. It's it's either Kyle or like Terrence Davis, honestly. <laughs> He's Both not gigantors. a gigantor, but like gigantor hearts. If I can describe to you what I'm seeing right now out my window, I live in a small Please. kind of apartment block. <laughs> and on the first, I guess, two levels of these buildings, there's bars on the window. And not to get into the details of it, but that's kind of a common occurrence in Mexico. And... There's a very small child across the way that has opened the window and is just dancing while hanging from the bars out of his window right now. And I'm watching him, and I think he's watching me as I'm speaking, and it is a sight to behold, I have to let you know. I love this. That's a very like good, good and powerful energy. <laughs> yeah, he, he's, he's he holding it. He's doing it. He doesn't care who knows it. He's like looking right at you. I feel like we could all channel this kid. That's, I think children here are emboldened and they wield that energy. I, I find with <laughs> Hispanic children, they definitely, they can throw it at you and they, they, they don't care. <laughs> but um, I'll, what I think the starting five will be in the playoffs is Gasol at the five, Siakam at the four, OG at the three. Fred at the two and Kyle at the one. I think that'll be the most frequently used one. Mm -hmm. Who knows what um, adjustments come at halftime or what have you, or maybe mid-series. But I think that's what they're hoping to get. <clears throat> okay. We'll, <laughs> we'll hop on to the next question. And, <laughs> and Katie, I know you've written about this player. So once again, I'll swing it to you first. But from Tom at the real man Y or the real man way, it's AI, so man Y. Quote, is Paul Watson as good as he looks on highlights on Twitter? End quote. You've written about the man. What do you think? Yes, he is. Um, Paul Watson, like, needs, he just needs more minutes and he needs, like, more consistent minutes because it's scary when you get these, like, I mean, it happens more with the, like, on his two way, it happens more with the Raptors than it does. He's playing pretty regular minutes with 905, but. In an NBA situation, when you see him kind of like pop out onto the court for like the last three minutes or like a minute, the way he like steps out is just with this kind of like preparedness as if he's always been there. And like in his mind, he just like already is like there's he there's like no catching up for him to do. Like he doesn't need to acclimatize like he doesn't need like a couple seconds to just like, you know, take take account of like i don't know his surroundings or anything like sometimes it's like guys get jittery sometimes they're like okay like now i'm here doing this but like he is so steady and so consistent and like so scary i think in the way he plays so quietly but like um dominantly so yeah i like he he is as good if not better and i think like he would be better if he was getting more consistent time on the floor yeah, that makes sense. And I think that that can apply to a lot of different 905 guys. And we've seen yeah. it happen. And hopefully hopefully we see more of Paul Watson. But would you like to know how Paul Watson relates to me, Katie? Because Please. me, me, me. Yes. <laughs> so 
shortly after he arrived with the 905, he was available for a Raptors game in which I was writing the preview for, and I listed him as a guard. Then the next time the preview came up where he was available again, Adam McQueen was writing it, and I think took my listing him as a guard, even though he's a forward, that was my mistake, and put it there. Blake called out Adam for that mistake, and then obviously in very Blake fashion went back to look if it had happened again, and then saw that I had made the original mistake. And it has altered the course of our relationship. Yours and Paul's? Mine and uh, Blake's. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, I think I've made the same mistake. Is he not listed... As a guard, <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he can be right, but it seems as if he plays the wing, or at least that's that's the the stipulation of of Blake's. But I certainly didn't mean to get bogged down. You know what? You <laughs> know what? Act. Like, let's like take this as this take this as learning experience, yes, but also like a fortuitous maybe glimpse into the future in terms of like, you know, the Raptors are trying to go as positionless as they can, mostly out of necessity. But Paul's a, he's a Raptor now. He's on a two-way. And I think versatility is going to, like, suits him and is going to suit him. So whatever. He can be both. Maybe he's he's the next. He's got the He's the future point guard. Yes. (laughs) Hate to give up on him in that position now. It's it's truly limitless out there. He's a shooting. I mean, like, he's played as a shooting guard. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I've derailed us. But to get us back on track for one last question, you mentioned in your interview with Jenny Busek that you forgot to record and it was the what the evil red eye, I believe was what <laughs> the the recording button was referred yeah, to. Yeah, the quick the quick time. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> you for well you didn't forget. You just didn't happen to record the first I, I'm not sure how long it was of the conversation, but you missed out on something. Is there other gaffes you have in your career? Lay them out for us right now, please. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, because once you, for me, once I did that, the, like, pain of it was so physical and, like, the feeling of, like, idiocy and just, like, you are such a jackass uh, was so real that I'll never do that again. I will, like, triple check that every time. So in a lot of ways, I guess it served a deeper purpose. Um, but... Let's see. Not really. No. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> not to be like, <laughs> not to do way on horn or anything, but I, like you only in very like high stakes situations, you, you can one, you could lear- learn by watching. And then also like if you do make even a slight misstep, you learn very quickly uh, what you should and shouldn't be doing. I think I always, like, now I always triple check that I am recording interviews uh, on my phone with players or coaches or whomever. Um, So that's, like, a good takeaway from my terrible experience of not recording that call. But, no, man, I mean, I'm knocking on wood because now I feel like you've jinxed me. Well, if there's a parallel to make, it's that Raptors writers have the the same ability to grow and learn from mistakes as as the team itself. Do you feel like that's a good place to leave off on? Yes. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> We're all following so, the same just like winning winning trajectory. Exactly. Katie came here to win and she, and she's doing so. But Katie, <laughs> the floor is yours if you'd like to direct the people towards anything you do, maybe a book you like, anything really, feel free to tell them. Up to you. Oh boy. 
Uh, <laughs> I well, everything that you listed in the, your wonderful intro. So, Dishes and Dimes podcast, of which I am a co-host with uh, eight other women who are very smart and amazing and funny. If you haven't listened, give it a listen. If you do listen, please like and subscribe. Uh, Basketball Feelings, my newsletter on Substack. You can follow. I mean, it's probably easiest at this point to just, you can just follow on Twitter if you feel like it. Um, That's at whatevs, the W-T-E-V-S. And then a book. Um, I just finished a book called Weather by Jenny Offal, uh, and it's very good. So there you go. Did you everything you asked for? <laughs> yeah. Did you ever read Zorba the Greek? No, I did not. Should I? I remember you asking me about it. Remember there was that picture of me that went up on WhatsApp and Zorba the Greek was in the background and you asked me if it was any good. I oh, wondered yeah. if you had read it. You know what I'm gonna do? Put it on my Toronto Public Library holds right now. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> and as as for the listener, if I can step in and say something um, Katie is one of the most brilliant writers I've ever had the, what would it be? The, the luxury I mean, you, you of being me. able to read. Yeah. <laughs> the luxury or the privilege of being able to read. Um, I, I don't know anybody who else, anybody else who writes like she does in the circle of basketball people. And that doesn't mean that she's doing not basketball writing. She is doing basketball writing. It is completely her own craft. It's so unique and it's wonderful. And I couldn't endorse somebody's writing more than I'm doing right now. She's a wonderful, lovely writer, and I would I would honestly hope that you you pick up some of her stuff after this. But Katie, oh, thank you very gosh. much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> thank you. I don't know what to do with all that, but thank you very much. Good. And listener, uh, this is where we leave you. Thank you for tuning in. Whether you're getting into this in the morning or at night, you won't have <laughs> war. Was it good? <laughs> what is it good for to play you at this time? But thank you for tuning in. Have a blessed day and goodbye.